Lot Studios. Untangling your Christmas lights faster than you can say, but I'm Jewish. Proudly presents... Tom Hanksgiving, right here every Tuesday. Tom Hanksgiving, come on and press play. There's Elvis, the host with the most. Yada, 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 yada. With a different guest each week, they're the smart ones. Each episode's a new movie. About Tom Hanks, the man himself, of course, it's time for Tom Hanks giving. It's the best you can get. It's the rootinest, tootinest podcast on the internet. Tom Hanks giving. Houston, we have a podcast. Howdy, partner. Welcome to Tom Hanks giving. It's me, Elvis Kunish, your host. And uh, we're celebrating Gary Sinister this December. And, uh... We're in the middle of it right now, and we're talking about 1995's Ron Howard-directed Apollo 13. Today, I am joined by my guest host, Mr. Ben Shearn. That's me. But this is uh, Gary Sinister Month, oh. and we kind of didn't have enough to talk about last week with Green Mile, and uh, Forrest Gump and the 50th episode celebration is going to kind of take over next week. So we're going to talk a little bit more about Gary Sinise this week. Uh, and uh, let's let's start with that before we dive into the movie. Why are you an authority on Gary? <laughs> an authority on Gary Sinise? Okay, yeah, authority is is maybe <laughs> in a hyperbolic term, but um, Gary Sinise went to the high school that I went to and graduated from. Wow! And we both graduated the same year too. <laughs> not the same. Uh, not the same. I'm not that old. Not that Gary Sinise is old. Uh, no. He's, he's Six, older. 61 years young. Mm. Is that how old he is? Yeah, born in uh, March 17th, God, 1955. Oh, okay. He looks good for 61. He does. He's older. He's a year older than Hanks. Hanks is 60. Wow. Mm-hmm. I feel like, well, this is going to be controversial already. <laughs> I feel like Gary Sinise has kept himself in... In better embalming fluid, than, <laughs> like Hollywood embalming fluid, than Tom Hanks. Has. You're, you're not, not that wrong. Tom, not that Tom Hanks is looking rough at no, all. He, no. he looks. He just looks like a guy in his sixties. I mean, you did just see Sully, and he looks a lot older in that movie. He looks rough in Sully, but also I think intentionally was, though. Yeah, because he's been, that's what Sully looks like. He's been through trauma too. Yeah, he, he looks like a folded pile of laundry with gray hair. But also, again, this is just Clint Eastwood and whatever ancient DP he's got. He's like his buddy who shot it, just <laughs> lighting it like a game show, shooting it from a low angle, just making it, just getting as much like Hank's gullet as possible. There so was I feel good like, gullet in that movie. So much Hank's gullet, but yeah. inappropriate Hank's gullet because I feel like because I also saw Inferno this year and like they were like playing it to the. To the other side, yeah, to make him look younger than possible. Looks yeah. pretty good in that movie. He couldn't be forty-six in that movie. <laughs> he looks like a solid forty-seven. What a man. cool forty-seven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, he's uh, okay. older, but looks a little better. Yeah, uh, sorry, I, but but I mean, you know, we we talked about earlier in the week how uh, Hanks. You and I, not on the show. Oh. How Hanks is uh, type two diabetes. He does. It's getting and he and he regrets how shitty he ate. And when that, he was younger. That's yeah. what I'm doing right now. So I'm sure I'll be at Hanks' uh, point when I'm 60. But you know what? If that's what life with diabetes looks like... That you're still doing great. And you're, you're doing great. Hanks? And you're doing great. Although I don't think that's the message 
That's, I don't think I don't think it's like get if you get diabetes it's fine because look at Tom Hanks that's he's true Gray's a millionaire movie star and every woman I've ever had come on the show is always like oh he's not sexy at all so really yeah not even a more sprightly young Hanks very like I even then it, they it, there's no sex appeal I don't know that surprises me I would think someone that sort of like I don't know energetic and funny and he has this like innate intelligence i think mm-hmm. I, know that I, I should hope that those are sexy qualities although i get i get women being like oh i don't you don't look at a young tom hanks the way you look at like a young brad pitt or like, yeah to date myself like richard Gere or something or like an old brad pitt actually <laughs> or in any brad pitt <laughs> brad pitt is an unfair example yeah it was a bad like, yeah well but also just like the tone of the movies he's in has never it's just right yeah even the just, romantic movies they're more uh, and we talked about this when uh, we did them. It's more of like the safe, easy choice. You're not right. turned on. Because like there is that whole, especially with cinematic uh, portrayals, you kind of like the bad boy. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you fall in love with Tom Hanks. He's the guy you bring home to mom. Right. And I get, But it's like, I guess if you're putting it to, putting women to the question of like, like, is he sex, do you, can you like, think of having sex with him yeah it is i guess that is a, a leap but i just you know why are we separating love and sex like i don't that? know I like I, I, I fall in love with someone because they're charming and they're sweet have sex with them that's what i keep telling the women i meet but they don't and for men too it. i'm not I'm saying just for, <laughs> it's true, for men it's true. i'm saying for all for all people so. yeah uh, there's not near, nearly not enough overlap, but uh, hey, Gary Sinise, <laughs> <laughs> you're the expert. Gary Sinise, <laughs> that's just Gary Sinise because this is gonna very sexy man. We're getting into sexual politics. We're getting into uh, just a place. We that have I, so I many things to cover. We yeah, gotta move really on. A lot to okay. Let's talk about Gary Sinise though. Okay, so you Blue Island, <laughs> Illinois, correct? That's where he was born, but then he uh, moved to the suburbs. Okay. Which is Highland Park, which is a North Shore suburb of Chicago. Mm-hmm. So it's about 20 minutes, eh, 30 minutes north um, on the uh, on Lake Michigan. Yeah. Um, the high school, Highland Park High School, actually has a really good drama program. Gary Sinise and this other actor slash producer slash writer, John Mayer, they were drama students and they were... Uh, Brought under the wing of this uh, teacher, Barbara Patterson, who was like the head of the drama department at the high school at the time. And so they uh, put on these shows and they called themselves the Steppenwolf Theater Company. So that the idea of that company started in my hometown out of the drama program of my high school. Wow, so, that's huge! And I take full credit for it. You should! Uh, <laughs> just be, I feel like... They knew I was coming and they knew that they had to set the stage mm-hmm. for me attending that high school. Um... So they took Steppenwolf Theater to Chicago, and that's where the... It became a huge thing. It is today. John Malkovich and Laurie Metcalf and, you know, all these sort of, like, thespians. So that's that's my connection to Gary Sinise. <laughs> Do we want to talk about, like, uh, yeah, Gary I mean, Sinise in general? And Like, just a little bit in general. Obviously, he's most known for roles uh, like the ones he's in these Tom Hanks movies. Mm. I think Lieutenant Dan is his biggest one. Yeah, uh, he was also in, a, like... Obviously, dozens of others, uh, including of Mice and Men. He was in some CSI yeah. uh, television shows. And most recently, I didn't know this until I checked today, he cameos in Captain America the Winter Soldier. Does he? He's the voiceover at the, the Captain America like museum in the Smithsonian. Here's the thing. 
And it's funny that you mentioned that. I didn't know that. As I was driving over, I was thinking about Gary Sinise, and I was thinking about how he took the wrong career path. Because he is such... he He's such an odd guy. Mm-hmm. He's an odd... Uh, I think we were talking about earlier, it's a sort of reptilian quality. Yeah, his eyes have such a distinct look. Yeah. And there's a slight sinisterness. You can play against that. You can play to that. But he's got a great look for camera. Totally. But not, I feel like, in the way that he sort of, a, what he attempted in his career was to become, I think, kind of more of a, a just a general leading man. Mm-hmm. And he got cast as villains a lot, which yeah. I think makes sense. But I was thinking, like, maybe an interesting path for him to take would have been something like Andy Serkis. Like, like yeah. voicing weird characters and sort of like, he, he has, it's really his voice. His voice is so odd and so distinct. Uh, maybe he does a lot of voiceover work. I actually didn't, I didn't, uh, look at his IMDb before this, but um, it's odd that he, like, wants to play, like, a cop or, you know... Uh, I think he kind of tried, in a way, to be, like, an everyman. Yeah, chasing almost that Hank's career path. A little bit. But, uh... I think he was close. It was He was like Icarus. He flew close to the sun. Much like our, our uh, Apollo oh, 13 absolutely. ship we're going to talk about later. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's interesting, and I... The, the more I learn about acting and, and studying it and, you know, uh, occasionally doing it even, mm. uh, it's, especially with casting, so much is reliant, at least for film. It's different, I'm sure, for theater uh, and other performances. But so much of it was reliant on the look of the person and yeah. specifically the eyes. Gary Sinise, as amazing as he may be, does not have those kind of eyes. His eyes have, like, a certain guardedness to them yeah there's a a, it's it's hard to like when you get into and see the vulnerability in gary sinise's eyes it's usually like oh a barrier has been moved down we spent the whole performance breaking this wall yeah he's kind of like having a meltdown or he feels like unhinged exactly whereas when you look at tom hanks's eyes it's like an instant connection absolutely he's so open he's so inviting um yeah no that's not that's not what Gary Sinise was built for. Just a couple other highlights for Gary Sinise. Yeah. Obviously, he started the Lieutenant Dan Band. What? Uh, you don't know about the I Lieutenant don't know. This I'm... is like the most notable thing about him. What? I have and no he does, idea. He performs USO shows. They no, go he singing. doesn't. This is a real thing. Mind blown. Yeah. What do they play? Like dad rock? It's, they yeah. just play like Mustang Sally? Well, I think it ties into the whole, like, he's all about veterans and stuff like that. Because that's the Gary Sinise Foundation. Um, and he's kind of a super Republican. I don't. Yeah, I couldn't find anything. What about what he said about uh, Trump? But he did support Romney in the last one. He did. Yeah, big Republican. I didn't know any of this. I didn't know it until like ten minutes early. You know what? I t- don't watch True West. You know <laughs> I haven't seen True West, obviously. Don't but, see uh, it. <laughs> it's right wing propaganda. This this might be it. my favorite uh, performance he's done. I like it more than Lieutenant Dan. I think. Huh? Why? I think I like the character more. Oh. I think I, I think I like the story of the guy who gets left behind. I mean, that's kind of similar to Lieutenant Dan in mm. a way, but uh, we'll, again, we'll focus on this. But I, I really what? like him as Ken Mattingly, and uh, let's let's start to build, yeah. let's start talking about. Uh, let's just get in. Ben, why don't you uh, tell us what Apollo thirteen is about? Apollo 13 is the thrilling true story of an aborted 1970 NASA lunar mission, which was manned by astronauts Jack Swaggart, played by Kevin Bacon, Fred Hayes, played by Bill Paxton, and Jim Lovell, played by Tom Hanks. 
en route to the moon, there's an explosion on the spacecraft, which drains the vessel of vital oxygen and electricity, which was very bad. The film is then mostly a three-part narrative, which cuts between the men in space, the flight controller struggling to get them home, and Jim Lovell's wife, Marilyn, as she wades through the stress and anxiety of the crisis. So, came out in 1995. Yes. Ron Howard directed... This is the last Ron Howard movie we get to talk about on the show until he makes... Another one, and oh, judging really? from the Inferno box office, that's not going to happen. Well, it's definitely not going to be out Langdon. Is Ron Howard the director that uh, Tom Hanks has worked with most? Yeah, because of like Splash. Yeah, and... Splash, uh, Apollo thirteen, yeah. and then the the, the three uh, yeah, Langdon that's movies. That's got to put him over the top. Uh, Zemeckis had Castaway and Polar Express. Polar Express and uh, Forrest Gump, obviously. Yeah, and Spielberg has four. I would venture to say Hanks is director. Ron Howard's the only director who's worked with Hanks in all three of his big periods. Early Hanks was Splash, just coming onto the big movie screen. That was like his first huge movie. Yeah. That's when he became a star. Right. Uh, and then, obviously, he came back in 1995. This is peak Hanks. He's just won the two Oscars. Yeah. He's, been, he's in Toy Story the same year this comes out. Yeah. This is like... His movie, whatever you yeah. want to do, and he works with Ron Howard, and it's a fucking great movie. We still haven't talked about it. We haven't really we, discussed the movie that is the subject of this podcast. <laughs> we're talking, we're building to it. Um, well, you have to set the scene, you have to yeah. set the stage, you can't and just then, jump in. And then he's contributed significantly to the latter day Hanks. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's some, his weakest performances in his later roles. Yeah. But uh, they're. Probably his most seen outside of, I guess, maybe now Sully, and if you count Toy Story 3 as its own entry. I think most seen? I feel like like maybe they've had the biggest box office, but I wonder if adjusted for inflation. That's true. I like mean, obviously, more, the know, Da Vinci like, Code out has also been out for a while, right. and as sequels, so that's yeah. going to end up. And, and it was such a huge thing when that came out, too. By the way, I want to join the Church of Latter-day Hanks. Oh! No, no. All right. So, uh, but yes. we're talking about Ron Howard. This is a great way to actually finally get into the movie. Yes. What do you think of his directing uh, for Apollo 13? Well, it's interesting that you're like, that, you know, in the- by numbers, this would be kind of the defining director of Tom Hanks mm-hmm. because I actually, you know, all due respect to Ron Howard, um, he he's very much a studio journeyman you know there, yes. there is no there's nothing no shame in being a journeyman director there's no there's no shame in that i mean i think ron howard from acting you know to today has just been a very likable showbiz guy who mm-hmm. just wants to be liked and make movies that are liked and so every that's informed i think I don't know him personally, but like every, I assume every life and artistic decision he's ever made has just been, what's the most likable, accessible decision I can make at this point? Um, Which has had, uh, you know, uh, I think Apollo 13, probably his crowning achievement as, as make in, in making something that is likable, that is establishment, that is, um, uh, that just works. So you're not a fan of the Grinch? Well, it's funny. It's like when I talk to the younger folks, uh, there's like this generation that grew up on the Grinch that are like, oh, this was like... The and that's their world. version, not the animated special. Right. Yeah, right. And they're like, oh, this is like the defining holiday Christmas movie. But again, that's, that's you know, that's just Ron Howard being like, oh, Dr. Seuss is likable. Let's do it. How do I just sort of bring... How do I open up its likability in this big budget way? So do you think um, this is his best movie? <sighs> I mean, in a way, yes. Uh, well, here's the thing. 
I actually think if you actually are going to look at Ron Howard's career critically and try to pick up like his most, you know, interesting moments as a director, I actually think Gung Ho <laughs> would be the movie to talk about. I haven't seen Gung Ho. <laughs> well, it's very interesting. It's 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 one of those sort of like um movies that accidentally uh by virtue of its subject matter is it's it's obviously a forgotten movie but by virtue of its subject matter becomes more and more relevant because mm-hmm. it's about outsourcing and it's about like trade with you know it's about uh, business relationships between um china and america it doesn't sound very ron howard <laughs> well it is because it, it's it it's a fish out of water it's michael keaton a fish out of water oh, having, okay, okay, having okay. to run a chinese um i think it's a car factory uh, but again, that, it, there's nothing about the directing of that movie that's interesting. I just think by virtue of kind of the subject matter, that's mm-hmm. actually like a, something that <laughs> that has a lasting value. I uh, Similarly, uh, to jump off on A Fish Out of Water, yeah. I think I prefer Splash to this movie. To Apollo 13. Yes. I, Splash, it's it's a lot more flawed, but yeah. there, I, I find the subject matter more compelling, similar to you and Gung Ho. But uh, when you compare it to Apollo 13, I think I have more personal attachment to Splash, even though I didn't grow up with it. Uh, but Apollo 13 is obviously just a masterclass in craft. Like, the tension in this movie, the way he's able to pace it and it moves at, like, cheetah speed yeah. without feeling rushed yeah. is blew me away. Like, I watched The Green Mile... For last week's episode. Right. And that took forever. It's not very, yeah, it's not like and I, I, I love that movie. It's yeah. great. But it took forever. And mm. I was kind of dreading watching Apollo 13 for the, for this episode. Not because I didn't want to watch it, but like, it's going to be a whole night. But that you movie it would be flies. Like, it really does. Well, there's a lot to pack in. Yeah. Well, I think. And we, that, I want to just say before, I, I never do this, uh, I rarely, I do this not often enough. But oh, the writing also in this movie is so great. It's obviously based on the book by actual uh, astronaut Jim Lovell. Yeah. And uh, also co-written with Jeff Kluger. But the screenwriters, uh, William Broyles Jr., who also worked on Castaway, mm-hmm. and uh, Al Reinhardt, they did a fantastic job just pacing the hell out of this. And there's a couple other spots I want to pull out later. But um, it moves so fast. Yeah, it's two hours and 20 minutes. I mean, it is funny that, like, <clears throat> there are certain movies and... You can credit it to a lot of things, but ultimately you do have to credit it to the director. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, I think it won, and the only Oscar it won, or one of the two Oscars it won, was for Best Editing. That so, makes perfect sense. Because it is two hours and 20 minutes, that really, it, it is still, as a 20-year-old movie, in, there's not a moment of breath that's very entertaining. Every moment is sort of filled with information, and filled, it's sort of the, like moving it ahead. And they're like so genius about like getting... Getting, there's actually only a couple things I want to talk about that I have some problems with. Yeah. But like, so genius is just like, let's let it's obvious, it's surface level, but they use it to the their full advantage when they just deliver the perfect exposition when Hanks is telling his son exactly what's going to happen in the movie outside of the complications. Right. It's like, oh, okay, so everyone in the audience now knows exactly what the mission is on the yeah. easiest of simplest of terms. This is ex- you know utilizing what you have in your movie. Brilliantly, I yeah. thought that was perfect. Well, and then, something that Zemeckis was do had is um, was sort of be a master at before that. And uh, all the Back to the Future movies, there, yes, it's yes. perfect. There's always this sort of like but perfectly even, placed uh, explanation that feels so sort of organic, you know. But but even with uh, and and I don't disagree because obviously I 
adore all of the Back to, F- Back to yeah. the Future movies. But even then, it's more like we're going to give this great actor, Christopher Lloyd, a shit ton of exposition, and he's just going to make it pop. And obviously, there's the sequences where they're showing like the models and whatnot to explain it. Uh-huh. But it felt like more like we had to carve out a compelling way to tell this versus like Hanks is the, Jim Lovell will tell his son exactly how it's going to go down. It's so much even more. I mean, organic. it's believable that astronauts are constantly like, "Let me explain this to you." Yeah. Like, you know, I did want to just. Eh. And not to harp on Ron Howard too much. I, and this is this is a very neutral statement. I'm not saying this is good or bad. I do think in his in his quest of just uh, commercial uh, appeal, this film to me feels very much a post-Spielberg, post-Zemeckis aesthetic. Mm-hmm. I think it's kind of the only... It, I won't say the only time Ron Howard tried that, but certainly the most successful and the most sort of like... Yeah. On tone with that. Um, it, Ron Howard does, it is interesting. I think he's a, you know, he's obviously a, a successful filmmaker. He's good at what he does, but he doesn't usually, I don't think he brings his own visual language, which is kind of what you're saying yeah. here. I don't think he has one. I, I don't, I'm not i not sure he does either. And I yeah. think that's okay. I, it's maybe not the most compelling thing to see a movie, but... Well, I just don't think he has any identity as a director, which I, which is fine. It's like, does... And I hope we will get into this later. I mean, um, I guess you should as a director. Well, I don't know. I mean, I... I but when you think it like he's making these studio films, he's... Yeah, he's just trying to make like a... Yeah, then know. that kind of works. They almost want you to be less of a, of a force of Yeah, I don't identity. think... I don't think when, you know, uh, the... I forget the studio Paramount or whatever was making Apollo 13. They're like, oh, make this like chilling and Kubrickian. You know what I mean? Yeah, like yeah. They, they want to like, like bring some intense authorial voice to it. They're like, no, I essentially do exactly what Ron Howard did. I have so to like, wonder if that, that stems from him starting so early in his career on television where there's like, especially back in those days, such kind of a neutral point of view to the cinematic language of television. Mm, interesting. Um, That's just the world he grew up on. He's yeah. just like, yeah, just think, you know, it's just... Just get all the footage. Everything the is literal. You yeah. Know? Which which I think works really well to this movie's credit, even if it's yeah. not the most uh, unique take or even the, the original source of, like, let's shoot it this way. Right. Everything functions so mechanically, and I mean that in a good way. It sounds yeah. bad. Yeah. No, no, no. Because everything's so clear. It's all about clarity. Absolutely. Uh, which is, I think, a huge problem that we're facing with today's filmmakers is that... Everything's about mystery. They're chasing that J.J. Abrams mystery box. Mm. Mystery doesn't create tension the way clarity does. That's why I think Spielberg's still the greatest Hollywood director. He creates suspense from <coughs> from th- you you knowing all of the elements. I mean, it goes back to Hitchcock, where it's yeah. like, if you know there's a bomb under the table, right. you're worried rather than, oh, there was a bomb? What a surprise. Right. Surprise is not as good as suspense. And uh, I think Ron Howard nails that here. Yeah. No, I mean, uh, I think it's, you know, it's funny. I thought about The Martian a lot while I was watching it. How, because I was like, well, what is this format? Because Mm -hmm. honestly, when you think about Apollo 13, it doesn't work as a traditional spec script because none of these characters have arcs. No. And it's actually not well, it's not a character driven movie. There's a bit to I I do when we talk about Hanks' performance, like I I yeah. feel like there's something there. But okay. go on. Um 
No, I mean it's it's but what this is is it's it's a real life event movie. Well, yeah, but that's that's the thing like this sort of the arc is really for the audience. It's well, less about The arc is the process. Yeah. And I don't think I mean, the anything, arc is the plot. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. I think this there's this, you know, kind of fascist creative idea in movies that a character needs has to go from A to Z in every single movie that's ever been made ever mm-hmm. and you don't have and that's always the sort of uh complaint that people have i think when they see movies they're like well i didn't relate to that character or, like they weren't that likable and like they didn't change or like mm-hmm. you know the, it's always around there but well, there's always like a weird checklist that i think people apply to movies and that's a yeah. bad move well, I just, movies can do every, different things i just think that's an arbitrary checklist that people mm-hmm. who kind of don't have opinions like need to go to in order to have one you know but i do think like um there is there is something to you know it's it's not nearly as detached as something as say like the right stuff um but it it has an, a sense of that you know it has of just oh well you know we kind of set personal stakes for Jim Lovell only really in the sense that his wife really loves him <laughs> you know and we set up this like personal relationship with you know just a sort of a loving, wholesome, uh, wonderful relationship between his wife so that, you know, when we see this guy in peril, you're like, well, I really don't want him to die because he's got this lovely family Interesting. at home. And those are kind of the only stakes that are are set up from a screenwriting perspective. I completely disagree. Really? Maybe maybe if you're looking at strictly from screenwriting, but I even think not there. Uh, and I'll jump into it now um, yeah. because a part of it does come from the direction. Uh, this movie, it, it's not obviously like life. It's... It's not quite life and death stakes like you might get in a superhero movie or whatever. But uh, the stakes for Jim Lovell in this movie, at least the character, maybe not the real astronaut, are very real, very personal. And it's about his legacy. Mm. From the very beginning of that movie, when he rides in in that red hot rod convertible and he's like, I'm the coolest dude ever. I'm going to be somebody. And he's watching uh, the Apollo 11 uh, yeah, the the moon landing with with his family with his friends. He's like, I want the moon. And there's yeah, there's yeah. that shot of him and his his son is actually in the shot too. And there's just this. It's again, it's very simple filmmaking, very yeah. simple but effective directing. And the the James Horner score comes in, and sure. there's that slow push in. And Hanks just he's just staring at a television, but he's made it more compelling than I've ever seen it. I, and you can yeah. tell it's not he he's the only one in the room who's not excited because they're there he's excited because he's going to be there next that is interesting it's a quiet yeah very bad like i didn't notice it until this this watch through it's a very background arc yeah but every time it like okay it doesn't come up in every scene yes but uh it comes up in significant moments like when he said we just lost the moon like after that he's far less vocal from for a good chunk of the screen time uh, and he's really, it's, I mean, his, the fact that his son is in that shot and it's like, he's passing down something. Like right. it could have been a single of Hank's, right. but he's thinking about his legacy. That's what, yeah. I, and the way he, we, we mentioned earlier how he tells what's going to happen to his other son. Um, and that's kind of what I think, uh, this movie is all about. It's sort of about what, what are you, what story are you going to leave the world? And, uh, oh. and, uh, 
you feel like that's the super theme? That's this. Well, I do want to talk a little bit about the super theme because it, it because I would I, it dips I, I, into. I don't know if that's the main theme. Although it's funny, it's like again, I think going in critically to Apollo thirteen is kind of like I don't know what's th- there's no real point. Uh, I mean, there's a point because it's just like fun, <laughs> but it's like it is just such a consensus enjoyable. Film. Well, it is it's like to go in and to start getting like too like picky about it. It's is a little like, bit like the perfect machine. Yeah. 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 It's super well greased. Like even you were, uh, the arc is like the perfect, I don't know if you're familiar with uh, Dan Harmon from Community and Rick and Morty. And he has this uh, circle theory. Okay. You're not familiar with uh, this. No, I'm not. Um, but basically it's his, it's his approach to writing and he finds that uh, all stories have like eight essential beats and they form a circle where it's like, if you break down anything that's a human story. Yeah. Uh, if it's going to function as a, as a narrative, it has like, uh, there's a person, there's a character, yeah, has a desire, yeah. They go to get it. They they enter a new situation to chase after the thing they desire. They adapt to the new situation. They get the thing they desire, but they it comes at a price, and then they return to their familiar situation and they've changed. And this is kind of the perfect movie to like. Do like it's exactly that yeah, in the that's... most reductive, simplest terms. Because Jim Lovell is someone who wants a legacy. Mm. He gets that legacy, but he loses the moon landing, the exact thing he wanted. But mm. he becomes NASA's finest hour, right? Which is literally true. I think you know. I thought it was just a thing in the movie, but if you look it up, NASA considers this rescue of these three men to be the most challenging and amazing thing they ever pulled off. Which I have no doubt it is. <clears throat> Which is also interesting because when I was a kid, I would think, oh, Apollo, thir- Apollo 11 is the one where they get to the moon. Right. Apollo 13, they fuck it up. Why would this be a movie? But it's such a better subject for a story. Oh, of course. Yeah, no, of course. What do you talk about? They get to the moon and everything was great? Everything went to plan. Yeah. You know, yeah, of course. You know, There's be- no story. That's why it's the footnote at the beginning. It's the inciting incident in this movie. And again, you're you're absolutely right. This is kind of like such a well-oiled machine movie. It's almost like impenetrable because it's like yeah. Well, I just don't think it's a movie. The Martian is the only other movie I can think that of a modern example of this sub 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 genre mm-hmm. that I think Apollo thirteen is in, which is basically a kind of gravity to work for Well, no, because I, I I don't think it falls in this sub 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 genre of a sort of pro-science, pro-ingenuity, kind of posy, uh, you know, space danger. That's <laughs> not what gravity is? Well, no, because I think... Gravity gra- is much more interesting. It has a whole point of view. Yeah, I don't think gravity's trying to base it in any real science. By the way, Ed Harris is the uh, voice that warns them of the... Uh, of, the of the debris? Of the debris in gravity. In gravity. I didn't so know that. So that is... Three sort of essential space danger adventure movies that uh, Ed Harris has a big, you know, big-ish or b- varying degrees of uh, involvement in the right stuff. Uh, Apollo, Apollo 13. 13 and Gravity. Interesting. And I'd almost consider The Abyss kind of a space movie. Anyway, I think you're absolutely right. And they absolutely do sort of get that, that power of myth, Joseph Campbell, like hero's mm-hmm. journey. Like they do get that. <clears throat> into uh, Tom Hanks's Jim Lovell's arc. But what's funny about that is that arc ends 
the second he says, gentlemen, what are your intentions? I want to get home. That's like his last scene in the movie. Just from You're like, not wrong. From you're a sort wrong. of, and again, I'm not, I'm not, this is not a criticism at all. It just is No, but like, you're, you're absolutely right. That's the, the one thing where I think it, it is kind of a secondary thing to the yeah, plot. Right. It's, yeah, he makes, that's, that's the, if you're looking at the Dan Harmon circle, he hasn't technically gotten back to Earth yet, but he has changed. And he's like, I don't care about the moon anymore. I just that's his transcendence. He's like, yeah. I, it's it's my humanity comes forth. Everything I mean, after that yeah. is just kind of epilogue. But you know, and I do think speaking of the epilogue, that is maybe his victory. Is he's like, this is a celebratory moment, and this mm-hmm. is the thing that I'm known for, and I'm super proud of it. Yeah, and he yeah he gets the like. He gets the the voiceover narration epilogue yeah. talk where it's an odd choice, but I kind of weirdly like it that Walter Cronkite opens the movie in a yeah in a in a voiceover newsreel footage yeah of not Apollo 11. which I yeah. guess they re-recorded just for the movie really yeah right was... Walter Cronkite just you know that's awesome came into the studio or whatever that is so cool yeah well it's it's again it's it's the very like the first it's an obvious choice to make of course he is just like even if you don't recognize it as walter cronkite he is just the he voice pre- of fact you yes. know the voice of history i wish we had had him this year <laughs> he really should be on too yeah i don't i think he's no longer with us no walter cronkite no and including uh this is kind of a weird transition oh but uh speaking of other people no longer with us we're recording this the day that uh, the first American astronaut in space, the first person to go around the globe, John Glenn, uh, has passed away today. Has passed at 95. Who Ed Harris played in The Right Stuff. And it's the same idea. And it has that same thing of just like less of a character arc mm-hmm. and more of just like getting excited by the process and getting invigorated by the science and like... Well, I think uh, like especially when you're going to go for a big ticket or big tentpole yeah. Hollywood movie... Making an event movie is kind of a genius move. I don't think it's... I think it's maybe a better choice than saying trying to make a character-driven movie or force a character-driven story into a Hollywood picture. It works sometimes, and I love some of those movies, but event stories are kind of perfect for the Hollywood machine. Like, look at this. I mean, Titanic, for God's sake. The biggest movie ever until Avatar, although we had that argument earlier in the week. Did we? You didn't believe that people actually went to see Avatar. Oh, I think Avatar's box office is a complete hoax. You think it's rigged, just like the the 2016 election. I still don't. Well, the recants are still happening. <laughs> I just want to have some things are just too unbelievable to me that I'm just like I still. I think this is how conspiracy theories sprout up: is that the facts are just too confounding that mm-hmm. you're like, yeah, there's something else going on. The uh, I have nobody two saw la- two last notes on uh, the directing and the writing of the movie. Yes, one writing. I there's a moment uh, where. There's one single shot in the movie where uh, Ron Howard steals from Sam Raimi, and that's when we cut to the oxygen tanks blowing up. Do you remember? It's just oh, because like, it's like a P- yeah, it's yeah, like it's an the evil, POV, dead. evil dead, yeah. And it's like, what are we doing? This is exciting for a minute. I mean, not that the rest of the movie isn't exciting, but it's like such a language change in the, the cinematography. It is. it is. It sticks it, out like a sore thumb. It does. I kind of like it still. Yeah, me too. But uh, and it's probably the worst CGI. That yeah, shot. it's the, like the, the worst effects shot in the movie, which is surprising because the CGI for an for a mid '90s movie looks great. Let's <coughs> <coughs> say I'm a little under the weather. Ben is our very own um, Fred Hayes. Fred Hayes today. Yeah. He's, he's starting to suffer from uh, space Fred, space sickness. Fred Hayes played by Bill Paxton while en route to the moon. Uh, 
and they're stuck in the lem, which is at, at you know almost freezing temperatures, develops a fever to add to the and this actually happened to add to the anxiety of of the whole thing. And I think I sort of I'm a little feverish. I have a cold right now. I think the situations are similar. I think it's making the podcast more exciting. It's very. Will exciting. you pass out? Will you become incoherent by the end? We're gonna find out. I have to say, I took I took a couple pills. I took a couple happy pills before the podcast, and are kind of <laughs> kicking in right now. So I am feeling like I'm <laughs> in a different state of mind. Right well, now. you know, it's the, getting a little, it's getting a little uh, loopy. The uh, pointing out that uh, on top of everything else, yeah. Fred Hayes gets sick at the end is another example of just like mm. the writing being like so tight. That's it's, a good device. It's, it's, yeah. yeah. They, they have the perfect, the golden ratio of complications in this movie. It's like they solve this problem, right? But then he's sick, but then they, they're going to solve this problem, but Oh no, the cartridge won't fit. So they're running out of auction and then they solve that problem, but the heat shields down and they solve this. Pro- and it's like just one after another. And I think that's why the movie lasts so long after Hanks's arc is over. Right. Um, cause there's just more to go, but, but it, it totally works. It would feel contrived if they had to, like, you know, I think if that movie got written today, he would have some made-up, dumb op- personal obstacle that he has to, like, that that's married to, you know, the the ingenuity of getting home, that, like, once he overcomes, like, this is, this is kind of what I didn't like about Gravity, was this forced character arc. She, it's like, her surviving is in parallel with, like, her getting over the death of her daughter or something. And it's like, it's like the thing, stop forcing these arbitrary character. I mean, I'm sort of like, and this is getting into, you know, more macro stuff that maybe we don't need to get into, but like, I just think character arcs in general are kind of silly. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're necessary just because they are natural to life and they are natural to humanity. And they are natural. Like just by virtue of being a human being, you have an arc and you change, you go through things, but this sort of like this format that's been sort of, uh, forced on movies for so long is just feeling so tired. I'm so sick of characters with like emotional issues that they have to get over that feel just like some hack screenwriter. Well, made up. and it's what, always a dead daughter. Here's, here's so what, many dead daughters. Here's where to I'm going over. to to defend the the hacky screenwriters. I guess. <clears throat> um, excuse me. It, it's been done oh, well. Oh shit! Yeah, you're getting sick. I'm getting sick. We need a CO2 filter. Oh, no! Listen, this has been kicked down from if the top If Forrest floor. Gump doesn't come out next week, you know why. Oh, sh- oh shit. All right. Um, you're, you're absolutely right in yeah. that there is kind of, especially now, and maybe it's just us becoming more savvy f- film watchers, but yeah. it feel, when you feel the formula this heavily, and I'm a big fan of the Marvel movies, but like Doctor Strange's formula as a character arc is so in your face. <laughs> And I still like the movie a lot, but yeah. it's just like, eh, character arc. I just don't think people are um, going to movies to see Doctor Strange like become less like materialistic. Here's here's the defense of character arcs. Anyway, yeah, sorry. Character arcs are effectively communication. That's and what stories are. Stories are how we shape our perspective. Stories are communicating empathy, essentially. Yeah. And I think that's the fundamental reason why humans are storytelling species. And I think that's why stories yeah. are so important, why I love stories, and it's also how you can totally abuse stories. Right. Um, but, uh, so I think the character arc, as a, as a, you almost bring it up as if it's a cliche or something, is, is, is a... No, it's so much more fundamental to be It is than, fundamental than being to a stories. And I think yeah. 
even going back to the Dan Harmon circles uh, yeah. point being that like it's kind of the skeleton of what a story is is an arc. It doesn't have to be a character arc. I just again, I think the event. I'm not trying to be like like contrarian by disagreeing with that, but I I do just think. Let's just ask the question whether or not that's the case. Mm-hmm. I mean, I would just challenge all of these fundamentals of storytelling. One being, you know, that we watch we watch movies or read books uh, or engage in art to like for an empathetic reason to feel like someone is speaking to us and communicating with us and sort of expressing a state of mind or a way of being that is like, you know, where you're like, oh, I relate to that. Yes, that exists. But I would say, you know, 90% of the stuff that I consume, that's not why I'm going into it. I don't know why I'm going into it, but I'm not going like, I want someone to relate to. I want a situation well, well, to relate the, you, to, you, you, you know? You almost conflated art and story there. And I yeah, think there's sorry. a, they, they obviously overlap. Yes, narrative. I, I, you know what? We, we have a vocab issue right now. Narrative structure is one thing. Narrative is mm-hmm. a thing. And, and there are rules to narrative and all that stuff. And you can still break these rules. Yeah, obviously. you play with them. But essentially, I do sort of believe in those like mythic structures of narrative. For and sure. I, I am the last person to be... <clears throat> campaigning for more Joseph Campbell. Let me just get that out there. I didn't want to make that, because that, leave that shit in the dust. Well, it's funny that someone always repackages the hero's journey as like their own thing. Like they're mm-hmm. like, hey, save the cat. And you're just like, oh, well, you just. Save the cat. So uh, the what do you think is the worst part of the movie? Completely sweeping under the rug the entire discussion of, of character arcs. We never really landed anywhere on that. Well, well maybe we'll circle back to it. But I uh, well no I if you we want to put a like my whole reason for getting into character arcs as it relates to Apollo thirteen I want to say refresh it is for me for an establishment Hollywood movie refreshingly sort of clear of character arcs mm-hmm. and like you said there is sort of a light one with Jim Lovell but something that's nice that I think is sort of like so uncluttered about it is that they're not trying to give Ed Harris's character some A to Z they're not really trying to give anyone. Uh, that much of a growth. I think which if is just you, nice because it just focuses the movie in this one sort of energy. Yeah, and I think like that's where like the arc isn't a character necessarily. It's it's the arc of the event. Yeah. Which which and I think it would just be nice I think of more movies just committed the more Hollywood movies kind of committed to that. That was all. That was my only thing. And the, the, yeah. I think I said the same thing when I brought up how they should have more event movies. Earlier, We've gotten but. this point across. <laughs> This, but this now movement? we're hammering it home, which good. is the, also the good old-fashioned Hollywood way. Good. Uh, so worst that, part of the movie. That was something you like. What's the worst part of the movie for you? You know, again, it to me is like, I think it's it, it's snobby to come in and like, you know, call that movie cheesy because it's especially for blockbusters, and this was absolutely a blockbuster. Yes. Um, so, you know, poised as one and received as one. Um, to look at dated blockbusters, it is t- over 20 years old now, um, and to be like, well, that part was cheesy and that part was... However, if, you know, if I had to say there was a worse part, I do think there are these kind of... Um, these kind of overly staged... Oscar moments or trailer moments in the movie, both in the writing, both in the performance, 
um, the three that come to mind. One is, although people would say, Houston, we have a problem, I actually think for Hanks, it is that moment of him being like, gentlemen, what are your intentions? Which actually, I guess I was reading, actually did, he did say that mm -hmm. on the, uh, on the craft. Um, that's one moment. Kathleen Quinlan's like, uh, you can ask my husband, he'll when be he home on Friday. <laughs> um, and then of course, Ed Harris's, uh, we've never lost an American in space and we're sure as hell aren't going to lose one on my watch, which I think is really funny from a blocking standpoint. Cause he's at this, he's at this, uh, uh, <clears throat> you know, chalkboard where, you know, they're figuring everything out. And he real, says real that quick, great yeah. bit of business when he tries to use the overhead and the, uh, oh, I like that. and yeah. then it comes, that's the great stuff. I love that's that. always a good joke of like, yeah. these are, this is the most technically proficient room in the world. And fuck like, it. Chalkboard. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, that, uh, and that another great point of view or another great, uh, credit to just making the most clear, clear thing in a movie could be like this is he draws out exactly what's happening yeah, no. everybody in the audience is up to speed and you see sort of the progress of where they are in yes. space yeah no it's really good device but you were saying uh, in that I'll moment. say that moment like those those three moments do feel a little, a little forced you know but something that that struck me watching uh, watching it this time particularly in Ed Harris's big trailer Oscar moment is he says that and then he sort of emphatically walks away <laughs> and, and then they cut of course because it's just like a great it's a great like mic drop moment yeah but you know in my mind i was just like dude get back to the chalkboard like where you go like i know we never lost an american in space but like <laughs> we gotta figure this out like what are you doing where are you going gene like get, <laughs> get back to the chalkboard. he needed to pee maybe you just need to pee yeah <laughs> that could be it i'm sure that's all it was we only saw tom hanks pee and the, the bags of pee. <laughs> and I uh. do like that that was addressed. So I would say, you know, just in a very sort of, in a way, those are the moments that feel the most dated to me, the most mm -hmm. kind of like Hollywood cheesy. Like, it's very like, uh, that'll be our Independence Day. It's all, it's, yeah, literally. And it's almost like they're pre-cutting the trailer <laughs> with those moments. However, the only acting nominations went to Kathleen Quinlan and Ed Harris. So mm -hmm. I guess it worked. It did work, yeah. In the time. Uh, and uh, even though Hanks wasn't nominated, uh, he he got the line that is remembered to this yeah. day. It's on the bathroom stalls of AMC theaters that, yeah. is, uh, that are out of order. Oh, um, that's funny. Yeah, it's, it is pretty funny. Uh, oh but God. it's interesting, that line, and I that's another moment. It You're absolutely right. It is like shot to be iconic yeah. when it's, he says, Houston, we have a problem. Uh, and there's even like that zoom in and it's, it's like, it's it's perfectly iconic, but I think it, I think it works. Well, I buy smart, it. You know, listen, and again, as much as I criticize that as being like, oh, that feels kind of, you know, forced. I think you uh, can go for the iconic and achieve it and... Hey, it, to have yeah. the to have the sort of foresight to be like, this is going to be... This is the moment. Yeah, yeah, to have the sort of sales of the movie in mind as you're shooting it. I think that's smart. You know, or at least I think that's uh, it's, opportunistic in a way that doesn't offend me at all. It's you know? certainly the job they set out to do. Yeah, exactly. Uh, exactly. I think if I'm going to point like out... Like the heroes at NASA on that fateful mission in 1970. Indeed. Uh, I think the, uh, the biggest, uh, well, there actually is one bigger problem, but, uh, oh. talking about the story first, um, would be, uh, the dream sequences. There's two in this movie. Oh, you could cut right. them both. Yeah. I think they're, I think they are used for the trailer moments. That's kind of the only reason I think they're there. Mm. Um, I, 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 the, the first one is the worst cause it's just, 
we jump ahead. We think we're already in space, after, you know, before we even see the launch. Everything sequence. goes wrong, and he gets sucked out into space. Oh That's my god! That's her dream. That's Marilyn's. That dream. was the one interesting thing. It was like, oh, we're in her point of view all of a sudden. You know, I would say this is a slight screenwriting flaw. Now that I think about it, is that Marilyn Lovell's as much as we focus on her, it's not really paid off uh, beyond just being like, yay! No, she loses the wedding ring and that never comes up again. Well, you'd think that there'd at least be like a Jim Marilyn reunion because that's what that, that's what that storyline is really yeah. moving toward and that's her payoff and that's the thing that would give her the most, you know, the most joy in the sort of stress matrix of the movie. You get it through her reaction to the television, but She's yeah, you never happy. see them together on screen again. <laughs> it seems odd, but the thing is... Weirdly that, like Sully, actually, where we never get to see him with his wife, ever. There are some strange resonances. Yeah. yeah. I was I was thinking... It's watching, a failed flight, right. and, but he still manages to save everybody. Right. And the, the messaging at the end, the, I mean, really, the, I would say the super theme of Sully and Apollo 13 are... We all did it together. Yeah. We all worked together. That's how it's, it's, it's a, which it's, is theoretic. It's a family ingenuity message. It's people work. Miracles don't just happen. They work with a lot of smart people, a lot of dedicated people, hardworking people, all doing their job. It's very American. All white people. Well, sh- well, coming into the real problem of the movie. Well, is that a problem of the movie? I think it is a problem with the movie, and I'll explain why. This isn't like... I bet it's accurate casting. I guarantee you there was not a black person... Oh, I'm going to school the fuck oh, out are? of you. Uh-oh. Because that's... Let's cut this That's part. maybe what I thought at first. Because this isn't like last week when we mentioned how Michael Clark Duncan's the only person of color in The Green Mile, because that is a story that would facilitate that Yeah, that's that like Jim Crow South. But there's not a... I was looking for in this movie. There's not a single person of color. I assume because they did research and every single one of those texts was accounted for and they're all just like white dudes with crew cuts. And isn't this the saddest thing? Because that's what I'm sure everyone was taught. But in fact, there's a, a, what? a woman named Kathleen Ooh. Johnson who is a NASA physicist, mathematician, scientist who uh, is actually, they're making a whole fucking movie oh, about her. Oh, it's the one coming out. Hidden Figures. Oh, Which my is coming out next year. God. And she and... No, this year. Is it? It's, it's going to be like an Oscar movie this year. But yeah, Hidden Figures is coming out. And she's this woman who oh was involved God. in the NASA space program. Obviously, she was completely discriminated against because she's a woman. She's yeah. black. They don't treat her well. Uh, and she's been completely erased from history. And this, except for like last year, 2015, uh, President Obama gave her... And uh, several of her other yeah. coworkers, um, the uh, the Medal of Freedom for what she, she did. She was involved in the Apollo thirteen. She was involved in the fucking moon landing. First of all, what got them? She's the one uh, who's like basically writing the math for the trajectories. But the fact is, oh in 1970, God. she worked on the Apollo thirteen mission, and she was a huge reason for how they basically saved the crew. Shut up. She made the backup procedures. To get them home. They didn't want to give that to Angela Bassett or someone? I know! That would have been a great foil. Like, that would have been a great... Cut out fucking the Maryland story. That's a way better story. 100%. And how, like, obviously... Oh, this is all taking a turn. Isn't it? Gary Sinise is some right-wing (laughs) a-hole. I'm ruining Apollo 13. That (laughs) was the arc of the podcast. Apollo 13 is willingly whitewashing history. It is! For, so, for a movie that prided itself on so much historical accuracy. And even the, the theme you were going for, where it's like, we did this together, we didn't. 
we white didn't... people did this it's... together. This is a Trump movie. <laughs> this is a pre-Trump Trump movie. It is this really is terrible. terrible because that look that character didn't need to be the focus of the movie. That would have made it so much. That would have made it way like all but the... how cool would it have been in 1996? There just happens to be a black woman of scientist course. in this movie. But as just as a sort of texture to yeah, Apollo not 13, even the story. It's just it she's just been, there. It would have been to see like her coming up against Gene Kranz, Ed Harris. You know, like. like like I'm here's the thing I was thinking too like I like all the character actors that kind of uh fill out the flight crew uh, yeah the, uh what do you call it the command center or whatever mission control mission control um a lot of a lot of interesting faces well in you there. get Clint like, Howard in there Clint Howard but uh Lauren Dean who's a kind of uh I think underrated actor who I really like this guy named uh Jim Meskimen, who's actually the world's greatest impressionist. It's like wow. two lines in it. There's all these interesting actors, but they do sort of, one starts blending into the other because they all are just white dudes in their 30s and 40s. Yeah. So it does, be that that sort of characterization, both in the writing and just how it's staged, uh, gets a little bland. Uh, so that would have been something... A, it would have been great because it's historically, historically accurate. accurate. And B, it would have been great just as a as a screenwriting device, as a dramatic device. It's just visual diversity. I don't even mean in the fucking race diversity. I mean like, oh, it's not another white thing we're looking oh, at. Oh, I'm sorry, Ron Howard. Was it going to distract from your heroic story of white men overcoming obstacles? <laughs> oh, sorry. Sorry that the truth got in the way of your... Dumb, cheesy movie that I no longer like. <laughs> That's, it's pretty terrible. Like, when I kept looking for it, I was like, come on. And then I was thinking, okay, maybe Hidden Figure, like, because I knew this was in the news, maybe a Kathleen Johnson was after this. And no, she, she was, was doing there. math. She was on she, that truck board. Clint Howard's the one who's doing the math, right? And he's like, I need to double check this. Oh, he That should have been her. Oh, I see. But he gave it to his brother. Oh, Clint didn't have a part. So let's write this amazing, brilliant woman out of history. Okay, Ron Howard. I'm so... I feel bad, because every time we bad. talk about Ron Howard... I feel bad for that woman. I should talk... But this is true! You fucked up! <laughs> wow. I like Splash still, but you know what? There's probably no black people in that movie either. And I bet when you look at the at the facts of Splash, at, at the historical accuracy That Splash, mermaid sure, was Asian! I'm sure she was Asian. This is ridiculous. Oh! I didn't know that. I didn't either. I didn't know that at all. Wow. And it does kind of taint the movie. Well, I mean, listen, I'm not sure. Good to... thing we won't have to be talking about race or anything like that next <laughs> week <laughs> when it's perfect. I'm sorry that I that I got in a fight and ruined your Black Panther party. <laughs> uh... um, I mean, listen, I'm not trying to, you know, I try not to get into a liberal tizzy about stuff like this. And of course, it's like, when you watch certain movies, you know, even movies like uh, older movies. You, where, where I forgive, I often am the first person to forgive the blatant misogyny, the racism. Exactly. But this is 1995. We are in the, you know, the groovy Clinton ascendancy. It's, it's a missed opportunity. It's a missed it, well, opportunity. It, it, the it's problem just, is, okay. the problem I mean, is, it, it's not, you can't even justify it as like, oh, it's just, you know, white-mindedness not thinking of it because you had to actively erase this person. I bet this is what it was. I bet this is exactly what it was because they 
did all the research. That was one of the big selling points of this movie is that it's like one of this, this really well-researched, it's an educational and exciting experience. They knew about this woman, okay? And Ron Howard was in his mission control with his dumb <laughs> screenwriters. And they were like, you know what? If we have her as a character, we're going to have to like address the black thing and we're going to have to like get into race relations. And that's just distracting from our story, which is just a, you know, you there's a way to handle that. And not make in it a the subtle way. Of the movie. How about just doing it as it happened? I bet they were like, okay, we hate you because you're black, and we've been hating you because you're black because we're just like dumb racist, you know, like astronaut dudes. Um, but we're putting that aside for now because we got to get these guys home, and she knows the math, so we have to like deal with this. So like, they could have had a very very easy little mini arc. That just got us to there, and then we never have to think about it again. You know what the perfect example is of yeah. this kind of thing, where it's like we're gonna showcase a black character, yeah, and, but we can't spend the time on their story, but we're not going to also take away what would have been the reality. Yeah, a little movie called A League of Their Own. There's one scene where there's a black woman who gets to throw a baseball over to Gina Davis, and they can't play because they're black. And this is just oh. a white woman's game, but there's a nod of acknowledgement between the characters that this girl knows how to play, and it includes anybody. It, it you know doesn't disclude anybody who's not white from watching this movie. It's like it is historically accurate, but we give a nod to this. Right. And you could have done this character in the exact same way. Have her have a three beat, a two beat for all you say. Easy. And you you, you don't even have to like. It doesn't oh, have no. to be the focus. We have to worry about Susie Homemaker and her fucking wedding ring. Mm-hmm. Which goes sorry. nowhere. I'm so no, sorry. You're... I don't mean to curse, but I just... It's... This is shocking to me. It is. This is it's... horrible. It kind of... It ruins the movie when you think of it, I, it like that. I mean, that, it doesn't... Right? Again, you can still... The we, talked to, we just talked about... From oh, a craft point of view or whatever, just well like done. as a movie experience, you can all... You can just watch... It's a very like holiday-ish movie in a way. Like, I, there's... In, yeah, there's no, no it's, it's really it. well made. We just spent a, a long time talking about that. But here's a... But it's... But the there's this sense is, of oh. insidiousness behind it like yeah it's like this and i think that's the worst part uh again if you go to the super theme we all did this together but it's actively exclusive exclusive about that and that's 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 a problem it's it's a hollow that's a problem it's a hollow message it is it's a hypocritical message what's her name kathleen johnson kathleen Kathleen coleman gobel johnson or perhaps gobble no, it's got to be Goebel. <laughs> Kathleen? Well, I'm seeing hidden figures, even though it looks... Well, what, you know. It what, looks kind of like it, Hollywood it like Formula, it, like Apollo 13. It does. I mean, I... It, it looks, this movie comes out at Christmas. Yeah. Go see this movie Go this see Christmas. Go see Hidden Figures. Okay. Burn ju- your copy of Apollo 13. <laughs> I don't know if you have an old VHS. Hidden Figures hidden comes figure, out this Christmas. Christmas Day. That's a real movie about Go NASA. Go see it. Not some fake whitewashing movie about NASA like Apollo 13. There's no Tom Hanks, unfortunately, but I, the movie will probably at if least... If Tom Hanks knew about this, he would have objected. He would have. No, he... Ta- you know, it's the technical advisors are feeding him the information. Yes. You know, and he's very interested in it, but if he had known, he would have insisted that this character be included. Period. Yes. Wow. Uh, it's It's really... It, 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 it's such a albatross on this movie's neck that it, it kind of sinks Oof. it. 
Uh, it's an albatross on my neck, personally. It should be. Because I, uh, you know, this was... And just, here's, here's, I, I'll make one more point about yeah. this. In case there's anybody listening who's, do we have to PC everything? Do we have to diversify <laughs> everything? The, here's the point. Let, look back at, like, there's a lot of people who are complaining, oh, there's yeah. too much diversity in the new Star Wars movies. Because it feels like tokenism. It feels like tokenism. Okay. But he, even if it is tokenism, here's the point versus, like, completely white Star Wars. This is a movie not, it, like, having the the black person, the Asian person, having these people of color, these non-white people, these non-white characters in this movie isn't just for the no. non-white audiences. It's also for the white audiences because we've spent so many years, so many decades of TV, movies, just media in general filled with white people that there are still so many people that don't, con- that consider non-white people to be the other. And that is something we have seen brutally realized with this uh, election and this year is there's just a lack of empathy for people who are not like you, for people who do not look like you. And the fact that this movie went out of its way to remove someone who just looked a little different. Absolutely. A hundred percent. Here's another, I think like relatively strong reason to include Kathleen Johnson in Apollo 13 because she saved the astronauts of Apollo 13. Even more important. Because she literally was there and she literally saved their lives. You're you're absolutely right. That the, the whole speech I just gave wasn't just like, oh, it's important to have a black person. No, but person that is important. Your, but it that's is. all valid. But that's nothing compared to the that's fact she was there. She was there. What the fuck? Those men would be dead if it wasn't for that woman who got boned <laughs> by Ron Howard. <laughs> The racist Ron Howard and his crony. Racist Ron Howard. Racist Ron. Hashtag. Hashtag racist Ron Howard and his his snarling little villain sidekick Gary Sinise, (laughs) who is a disgrace to Highland Park High School and a disgrace to the legacy of a good man named Tom Hanks. God, this is. I have to say, I did not. I did not expect to get this emotional about it. That's what happens on this show. But this is really, like, I did not think... I, th- I thought this was going to be a 100% celebratory conversation. No. I didn't in no way thought this is, that this was going to happen. I call it, celebrating Hanks. Love him. He's great in this. Uh, oh, sure. We, we can talk about specifically Hanks' performance. Mm-hmm. Actually, I have to... <laughs> Wait, you have to pee in the middle of this? I to, well, I should... Oh, we should have actually... We should pee like the astronauts. We should pee, yeah. You get the bag... What are you doing? All right, he's 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 not going on theme. All right, I'm gonna pause. Okay. All right, we're back. Um, and we're back. How was your pee? Was it like the astronauts? <laughs> no, I'm sure they had. Uh, I'm sure they're much better hydrated than I am right now. All right. Well, uh, toward the end they weren't. So, what is the legacy of this movie? The legacy of Apollo 13, as a there's, there, it, I think the legacy is probably less of a film legacy. It defines a sense of Americana, both of the time that it's portraying, mm-hmm. but also I do think it is a bit of a time capsule for... And I do think Tom Hanks, uh, as a celebrity, but both as a man in his interests, mm-hmm. and I know you've sort of talked about this on the show before... 
uh, also encapsulates this, uh, a, a kind of a, an attempt to reinvigorate a sense of patriotism yeah. in the Clinton era. Mm-hmm. And it's a very baby boomer goal, and it was, you know, using these great accomplishments of the their, past. Yeah, yeah, of their parents, essentially. What they would probably, yeah. To kind of, to kind of you know, take what was uh, a developing uh, slacker generation and, and try to get them kind of rein, just, just involved again in this idea of, of American victory. And I also think Saving Private Ryan was that too. Yeah, I think Saving Private Ryan does that significantly better. Well, it's it's you know even even well, if, it's even a completely if, different tone in a way. But but, but not even just uh, comparing the quality of the movies, but the lasting impact. Yeah, Saving no. Private Ryan rings throughout. Yeah, uh, Apollo thirteen, I think is good. It's it's only it's it's qualities are only good when it's evident, when you remember it exists. Yeah, and I think it's... Even, like, yeah. when you look at, like, oh, what's the best real-life space movie? This is up there, but, like, are people thinking about this? Yeah, I think it's one of those movies that, while it was wildly popular when it came out, has definitely faded. I don't know I don't, I don't know if it's necessarily as much of an evergreen Tom mm-hmm. Hanks title as some of the, as, like, Gump and it's, some yeah, of the other ones. Yeah, even when you look at Tom Hanks's, uh legacy... Apollo thirteen is bar- is barely up there. Yeah, it was just kind of like an- I, another hit. It's not. It, yeah, I I think it's a decent. It's a considering how little there is to play with Jim Lovell. Yeah, I think he does a great job. Yeah, and but like when you compare him to the other real life people he's played outside of maybe Sully. Yeah, uh, it's not as interesting as those. Yeah, there's just not much depth to the character, mm-hmm. and there's not much conflict to the character, so there's just not. Again, from a performance aspect, there's not much for anyone to really work with that so, much. Um, and, and obviously there's now this, like, when you l- dig deep into it, there's this legacy of whitewashing with the with the movie, and that puts a whole other thing. It really does. But, uh, it really does. Th- th- I'd say there's two real things that Shameful. are... Shameful. Uh, legitimately. Um, but I think there's two real things that are the legacy of this movie. Okay. Um, and the one, the one thing that has outlasted everything that you still remember today is... Houston, we have a problem. Yeah. The, that line, which oh, interestingly sure. is not the actual line when that was not, it was changed from the, the original ship. The, the original Wait, trip. Jim Lovell actually said something like, Houston, we have a problem? Actually, that's the crazy thing. The, the original line was, Houston, we've had a problem oh. here. Oh. And it was said by Swigert, by Kevin Bacon's character. They they changed also it. shameful less and less shameful <laughs> less. just in intensity but also I'm gonna give it to that the, dude said it I'm gonna yeah, give no, it you to have them. to give it to the lead it course. has to be and, and I, it's such a good Hanks line that line in that moment sold that movie so because I'm I'm of an age where I have actually a very vivid memory of watching of that when those trailers and like how that movie was marketed that was like you don't really get taglines anymore that seems that's a sort of marketing tool of the past but mm-hmm. man it, that worked I cannot tell you how well that worked when it's that still working out. on I'm thinking about that line and I'm liking the movie again even after all this horrible stuff we just talked about Oof. Uh, but this is the the legacy that people will think of. When yeah. they think of Apollo 13, is that we've Houston? I think so we, we too. Yeah, that is very that's still indelible. But Apollo 13 has an even greater legacy relevant to this new digital age, oh. and that is Netflix. Huh. Apollo 13 is inadvertently responsible for 
Netflix as an, an entire company? Uh, as an entire company? Here's what happened. Little story time. Little, this is how we're going to end the episode. In the world? Way back in 1997, uh, after the movie had been, you know, it's out of theaters and it's now yeah. on. When they used to wait a year. Like yes. a calendar year before you could rent it. And you rented it from a store. That you went to a, a, a video store and they had VHS tapes, which is what they had before DVDs, which is what they had before Blu-rays. True. So there's a guy named Reed Hastings. Oh, sure. The, That's who, the guy. Who goes on to be the co-founder of Netflix. Okay. Uh, and he rents Apollo 13 and... Late charges. There, you remember late fees? Oh, I... If you didn't return the movie... Do I remember late fees? I still have some to pay. <laughs> I Thank goodness oh. Blockbuster went out of business. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> that Jerry Springer highlights. More expensive than... Just, like, <laughs> really... Springer. I'm trying to date it. Speaking of the 90s. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm perfect. Trying. Perfect. Okay. Uh, but, um... Uh, so, yeah, those late fees would charge yeah. the hell out of you. Uh, so he, he rents Apollo 13 on VHS, VHS, forgets to return it for God knows how long, probably a minute, and they stick him with a $40 late charge. So he's slammed with this late fee, he's yeah. pissed off, and he's like, why can't there be another way? A better way. So he comes up with yeah. this idea for a mail order movie service. Unbelievable. He learns from a friend that DVDs are on their way out, they're gonna be a thing, so he gets the idea to try mailing himself a CD. Just a blank CD, in an envelope, seals it up, he mails it to himself, 24 hours go by, he's terrified it's not going to work. Yeah. Comes in the mail, perfectly fine. And thus the idea for Netflix was born, goes on to become this ubiquitous oh, millionaire it. company. No, bi- million. Billionaire. Billion. It's, it's capitalized the market. It's killed Blockbuster. There are no video stores. And it's all because of, of this Apollo. Racist. <laughs> Apollo 13. So let me get this straight. This movie that I watched with my father, and I remember walking out having a, having a truly bond, like father-son bond. That was a great uh, bonding movie for a father and a son in 1995. Going back sure. to that, that legacy shop where we totally. see Tom Hanks and his totally. son watching Walking TV. out with my dad and, I, and us just being, you know, feeling the warmth of just like Hanks just as a presence, but then within this, you know, very uplifting, awe-inspiring movie, you're telling me that this movie, Apollo 13, on one level, casts right-winger lunatics <laughs> like Gary Sinise. On another level, writes... African-American heroes out of history for its own, God knows, you know, for its own selfish purposes and effectively killed video stores, which are so important to me. I worked at video stores <laughs> for a year. That is like the one that, that the dying of that industry is like the, <laughs> the death of my childhood and is like defines so much of who I am. Um, I hate this movie. <laughs> I hate Apollo 13. <laughs> <laughs> the Netflix thing didn't bring it up. You don't like Netflix. Oh, I mean, I like Netflix just, you know, like I like The Sun or something. <laughs> just like, because I have no choice. But like, no, I mean, the, it, it effectively, oh it started this cultural and economic chain reaction that killed storefront video stores, you know? Uh, so effectively, Apollo 13, in your eyes, has destroyed everything great 
about yeah, America. Just everything I stand for. Everything love. the movie seems to be saying, it has... It is tearing down. Destroyed. Absolutely. Apollo 13, the greatest lie in the Hanks Library. Whew, Houston, we have a problem. Yes! <laughs> All right. Ben, thanks so much for being on the show and oh. for letting me ruin so much of your childhood and this uh, movie for you. Thank you for having me. It's where can people, where can they find you? Uh, I do have a website. Do you want people to look at it? Sure. It's, it's film by benjaminshern.com. I'm sure we'll link it in the, in the, uh, in the description. show notes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you can see some of the, some of the, uh, RT for RT nonsense that I've made. Um, but really you should just call me. Three two three two one seven nine five seven nine. Just that's really the best way to. <laughs> I think that's a more vivid way to just like get involved with like what I offer. The website really isn't representative of it. Um, so just give me a call. <laughs> oh, that is his number. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna edit this out. Let me say just in case you miss it. Three two three two one seven nine five seven nine. Give me a call. Oh I will God. talk to you about anything. If you want to talk to that type problems. I'm a, just a shoulder to cry on. Of course, next week we'll be back with Forrest Gump and the 50th episode of Tom Thanksgiving. It's going to be a huge day. That's I'm, I'll be listening. You will be. I will. That's um, amazing. Congratulations. It, thank you. Follow the show on Twitter at Tom Hanks Pod. Follow uh, me at Elvis Kunish. I'm on Instagram, Twitter. And, uh, of course, visit us at our home base, splotstudios.com, S-P-L-O-T, studios.com, for the podcast, for video shorts, and all sorts of fun. And don't forget to rate and review us on iTunes. And uh, don't forget to tell everybody that this movie is totally racist. Yes. Maybe start the hashtag movement, Racist Ron Howard. Just putting it out there. Just get it out there. Until next week, Hanks for listening. Tom Hanks, we fell in love with you, Tom Hanks. Just like so many do deeply. Because you made us smile. And you're great on screen style. So that's why we give thanks. Cause you've got a friend in Tom Hanks Tom Hanks Tom Hanks This movie's about men Overcoming Who are experts in their field <laughs> In extraordinary circumstances And that's exactly what's happening tonight